you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, this week I had somebody ask me, can you learn how to see new ideas that other people don't see? We had a group of people out here on our property for one of our coaching events, and we were taking a walk around the property and, and looking at some of the fun things that I've done on the property. You know, trees that have been carved into eagles and people's faces, old tractor tires that have been turned into playground equipment, wood chip mulch areas that I've got all over the property, nature trails and things. Somebody said, you know, how do you think of all these ideas? Can you learn how to... See opportunities that others don't. Well, I believe you can. Hey, this is Dan Miller, host of this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. We're going to be talking about those kind of questions and more, how you can transform your work feeling, the sense of meaning, purpose, accomplishment, and money as well. Yes, that does come when you are aligning your passion and your wisdom. It ought to release the very best in you. Frederick Beckner says that you find your calling when your greatest gladness meets the world's greatest need well if you don't have gladness in your work chances are you're not working in your highest calling or your vocation it's something else it may be producing a paycheck but it's not that well how do you find those ideas that other people don't you know i think that you can just tune yourself into that i wrote a blog just this week about this idea of left brain right brain and we know that in the left brain, there comes our analytical, detailed, logical thinking. You can do mathematical calculations or draw architectural plans there or be a great dentist. Those are primarily left brain skills. And then we talk about right brain. Well, that's creative, artistic, musical, fun kind of stuff. And a lot of people think they're stuck in one side or the other. And as usual, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Those who are in the left brain say, oh, I wish I were more creative. I wish I were more spontaneous. And those who are in the right side say, oh, I wish I were more organized and more detailed. and wasn't so sloppy in what I do. So don't think that one is good and one is bad. But if you feel like you are primarily one side, sure, it would help you no matter what, which side that is to tap into the other side of your brain as well. So if you're very illogical, calculated, detailed kind of person, Go to an art show. Go to a musical concert that you would not otherwise go to. You know, hang out with some friends that you haven't hung out with for a long time. You know, take a trip to, geez, one of the natural wonders and stand there and just look at something that's so spectacular you can't understand it or figure out how it happened or how it works. I mean, those are great experiences. I mean, I took my granddaughters to lunch today. Trust me, every time I take them to lunch, no matter where it is, I have some experiences that I've never experienced before. They're just that spontaneous and full of life. And I love learning from them. But here's how noting new ideas can work. We really become better at it. Here's a phenomenon. Let me just explain to you how this can work. Let's say that this afternoon you go out and you buy a red 850 Volvo four-door sedan. You know what you're going to see tomorrow? You're going to see about six red 850 Volvo four-door sedans on the road. And you're going to think, 
my gosh, did everybody go out yesterday and buy those red 850 four-door Volvo sedans? No, they were there all the time. You just didn't notice them. But having one yourself, now you're more attuned to that. And so you see what was already there all the time. Now, there's a physiological or an anatomical uh, phenomenon that describes that. It's called reticular activator. Now, reticular, you know, then is related to the eye. And that's exactly what it is. Reticular activator means now your eyes are seeing something that was already there, but it was just never in your awareness. Well, I think the same thing is true with ideas. If you have your idea antenna up, you'll start to see things that other people miss. Just make sure that you're noticing things around you. Stop and look at a tree. And instead of looking at the leaves, look at the shading that is formed by the leaves. I mean, just make yourself look at things differently. Yeah, I think you can learn how to do that. Well, we've got a lot of questions to cover today. I want to get right, right into those. Somebody says, well, well, let me let me give you an overview here. Here's a question. Is it possible to get on the New York Times bestseller list by selling 10,000 copies of my book myself? All right. Here's another one. Dan, how do I submit a great idea to a big company like Pillsbury or Nestle? Dan, I've been making soap, salves, and bombs and bath products. Is this a good business idea? One of our younger listeners says, there seems to be a pervasive theme in our working world today, which is, I hate my soul-crushing job. My question is, has it always been this way? <laughs> you know, is this a first generation where people complain about their work? Well, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. I think you know the, the answer that's coming to that. Dan, I have a dream that seems so silly to pursue, but I can't stop thinking about it. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. And Dan, I'm wondering if you would comment on my idea to start a self-serve all-you-can-drink protein smoothie and coffee shop. Lots of questions. Hey, here's a quotation that we've got to kind of shape our thinking for the day. This comes from Orison Sweat Marden, who was the original publisher of Success Magazine. Anyway, he says, don't wait for extraordinary opportunities. Seize common occasions and make them great. Weak men wait for opportunities. Great men make them. Don't wait. Create your own opportunities. Now, last week I had a listener suggest that we not just hear from the problems people are having, but that we hear from those who are having successes. And it was one of those, you know, hit my forehead and think, my gosh, I could have had a V8, but I, uh, why didn't I think of that before? I know that it, perhaps it seems one-sided, that everybody, the, the listener suggested that perhaps my ideas are just pie in the sky. You know, that it, it sounds good, but nobody really does it. And he says, you know, I'd like to hear from people who are really doing it. I'm going to start doing that. So I'm just going to grab some quick testimonials from people. Now, if you've got a testimonial, I'd love to, to hear it from you, especially, well, I need some new ones now from Wisdom Meets Passion. You know, we've got thousands from previous books, but Wisdom Meets Passion, I'd love to get some testimonials in. I'm hearing a lot of informal comments, and I'm going to start making note of those. But uh, some of the best testimonials that we've got come from earlier books. And that's okay. Again, it's, it's still the same ideas and people really are doing it. If you've got a, if you want to leave an audio, just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. We've got the number there where you can leave an audio. Just leave me a one minute message about your success. That'd be great to share with people here. Well, this comes from Paul who says, I want you to know that your book and message have changed my life. I read 48 days to the work that you love 
while finishing my master's degree. I was teaching at the time and was looking for a change in the direction my career was going. Your book helped me identify my transferable skills, market myself, identify companies to work for, hone my interviewing skills. Since then, I've been offered professional jobs with six different companies. I'm currently a project manager with a manufacturing company and will soon be moving into a project leader position with a company from my top five list as I developed as part of your book suggest. And he goes on and on. I would, some of these are long and I appreciate the, the testimonials, but I'm going to do some shortening here just for the sake of radio. Lori says, Dan, thank you so much for writing 48 days. I know I'm one of many who can say your book has changed my life. I've been a stay at home mom, homeschooling mom for 13 years and Bought your book thinking I would need to get a job to help with our family's finances. Thanks to the insight I received from your book, I found a business I can do alongside homeschooling. To say thank you, I'd like to offer you and your wife $25 worth of free children's books for your grandchildren. Well, that's cool. I, I get I, Just yesterday, I got a, a note from a lady who uh, had been here at one of our events, and she knows that on Wednesdays I take my granddaughters to Taco Bell, and so she sent a card. That, she's an artist. And she sent a card that she drew. It's actually Rose Goss, who is the illustrator for my wife Joanne's children's books. But she sent a card where she drew a scene of Taco Bell with me holding my granddaughter's hands, walking into Taco Bell. And it is really a sweet. I mean, it, it's not a card that I'll just file away. I think I'll frame it. And then inside a $20 gift certificate to Taco Bell. But we, we, we get this, the nicest notes and gifts from people. And it just is humbling to, to be able to be part of people changing their lives and then hear their gratitude for that. Well, this comes from David. It says, Dan, I had to let you know something this morning. I'm guessing you've heard comments like this for years, but I wanted to add mine as well. I'm about to start chapter four of 48 Days and have never been more excited about any book in my life. I knew that your books would be something special, but was totally caught off guard. I'm writing in the margins, underlining comments and phrases and highlighting areas I know I will refer back to for years to come. When I'm reading, I feel like I'm drinking high octane fuel for the mind and spirit. I've read about 50 pages and have two pages full of notes, which are ideas for my music career and life. I've read so many things that have confirmed thoughts I've had for so long, and I've also changed my view on myself and others so far, and I'm sure there will be more to come. The truth that has given me the most excitement is when you talk about purpose. I've never had much of a sense of purpose in my life. I've always had an overwhelming sense that I was meant for greatness, but was never able to understand that, that in my life. I am seeing that each moment, conversation, laugh, cry, and car ride are those which have greatness in them when I realize who I am and whose I am. Anyway, it's clear that over your life, God shaped you to be someone really special, you and your wife. I'm looking forward to meeting you guys. And he goes on from there. Again, thank you from David for that. You know, it's interesting in, in reading some of these and just reminding myself about people reading 48 Days. 48 Days, I wrote, which that came out in 05. So I, I still get letters every day from that book that was written now, what is it, eight years ago. Um, and also I'm reminded that in as much as I wrote that and the application of that is pretty much to get a traditional job, to do a resume, do a job search, go get a job, negotiate your salary. Then I get letters like from this homeschooling mom who says in reading that it helped her identify a business that she could do at home. And I'm thinking, how cool is that? And I don't want people to just choose from a list of jobs they could get. I want them to find out who they are. What is unique about you? 
what are your skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions? From those, you create a clear focus. And then see what that leads to, if that's a traditional job or if it's something more creative and non-traditional, more entrepreneurial. If it's being a freelance person or a contingency worker or an entrepreneur, I mean, it can lead to all kinds of things. Okay, we got, that's, that's it. I'm going to go right into the questions because we got a ton of them. This one comes from Tom who says, Dan, I started a media company with my wife a little over two years ago. We've helped publish about 20 to 25 books so far. Boy, that's awesome to be able to do that, start a little publishing company and do that. Um, Tom says, we offer editing, graphic art, formatting, and publishing through CreateSpace. Our clients are happy and the products are quality. Most of these books sell a few hundred copies and then seem to fizzle out after a year. However, one of my authors just teamed up with a pastor of a large church and wrote a book that is getting a lot of attention even before it's finished. This pastor travels around and also has a strong prison ministry. They came to me and asked if they could order 10,000 copies to start. They said they have thousands of pre-orders and more people are inquiring. They're giving the greater share of the proceeds to a friend of mine who moved to Africa and has a ministry there. So my question's for you. With 10,000 plus copies, is CreateSpace still the right way to go? I know you've done multiple options. No, it's not. CreateSpace is a branch of Amazon. I'm a big believer in that. It's a wonderful place to go. And the primary purpose is so you can order 25 books to start with. There's no risk of having to order a lot of books. If you know you're going to order 10,000, then by all means, do not use CreateSpace because the way that that's set up for self-publishers, you're going to pay more per book. So you're going to pay about $4 a book. Whereas if you're going to print 10,000 copies, I don't know exactly what size book you're talking about, but chances are you could get it done for maybe a dollar and 40 cents. I mean, the rudder of the day, the book that I have that's so popular, we get those done 10,000 at a time. And that's exactly what they cost me, a dollar and 41 cents. I mean, you'll save tons of money if you know you're going to do 10,000. So no, look at just a traditional printer. Don't go through even one of the self-publishing houses. Just check with a local printer where you are. I mean, here in Nashville, we have hundreds of them. I'm not sure what city you're from, but I'm sure the same thing is true there. Just get a bid on printing those books directly. And then number two, is it possible to get on a New York Times bestseller list by selling 10,000 right away? No, not like this. If you order 10,000, have them printed, it doesn't matter if they come through Amazon, through CreateSpace like that, or if you go to a printer. That's not going to get you on a New York Times bestseller list. Here's why. If you go in there, here's what does get you on there. If 10,000 individual people order that book on the same day, yes, that's going to put you on all kinds of lists. But you're not talking about that there. If you as one individual order 10,000 copies, it counts as one. It counts as one copy. If you go in 10,000 times and you show your name, Dan Meller, every single time, it still counts as one. There are all kinds of safeguards against people working the list. So there's no way that you can just order 10,000 and have that count toward being a bestseller. Don't worry about it. Just just sell it. Make, make this a business thing. Don't worry about milking these lists. That, that has little value, ultimately. The real value is, are you selling books and making money? Make sure your business plan allows you to do that. Well, let's go on. Let's go to question from Edom, who says, I've been listening 
quietly listening to the wisdom you deliver with such authenticity in your podcast. You can't imagine how much just listening to your archive of podcasts has motivated motivated me in every area of my life. Thank you so much. I'm addicted. I love writing and engaging with others and their life's issues. In conversations, persons often say things like, I wish I was recording this conversation, or can I write that down? Or that's what I couldn't express myself. I'm often creating catchphrases without effort. I want to begin compiling these works and as a form of residual income, begin publishing motivational eBooks, audios, and online market t-shirts with catchphrases, as well as my own podcast radio show. Cost free and low risk. How can I get started? Please. Well, let me jump on the t-shirts to start with. You want to do those cost free and low risk? Here's what to do. Go to Zazzle.com, Zazzle.com, or Threadless.com. Now, I'll put these in the show notes for the podcast today so you can go there and find them. You can go there, and without buying a shirt, you can design a shirt and simply then point people to it that it's for sale. If people buy it, you get a decent percentage of the sales price. Same thing is true on, through on, true on Threadless. I can't say those THs together. True on Threadless. You design a shirt, if people buy it, you get a percentage of the profits. Great way to start with the low risk, no cost at all. Now, if you do produce a few and you want to sell them yourself and have increased margins, you can use Etsy, E-T-S-Y.com, and I'll put that up in the show links as well. For the other things, the little sayings that you've got, I mean, look at doing creative things, not just another book. It's going to be hard to market a book of all your original sayings. Actually, I would encourage you to develop a theme if it's leadership or positive thinking or motivation or sunny side up or whatever, develop a theme and then also have quotations from other people, famous people. It'll help your credibility if you're in there alongside Aristotle and Socrates and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and people like that. I mean, I've done that for years where it boosts my credibility by having lots of quotations from other famous people. And it's a very legitimate way to do that. So I would encourage you maybe to do that. But then you can look at doing things like coffee mugs. I mean, the coffee mugs are notorious for having these cute little sayings on them. This morning I was in a meeting with uh, Dave Ramsey to start the day off. And he came in with this really cool looking cup. And it had on it. I turned the cup around so I could read it. But it was, uh, it was like capitalism built the world. Something like that. I mean, obviously with Dave's focus on capitalism and free enterprise people send him mugs with all kinds of things that are related to that now you can do ebooks audiobooks with no cost just start putting things out there to see if you can attract an audience i would encourage you to give your company a catchy name if you're going to have all these motivational things these catchphrases don't just have them scattered all over the planet have a theme for who you are and what your site is all about think in terms of life is good Go to that. Go to that site, lifeisgood.com. Look at what those two guys have done, two brothers have done with that one phrase and then building around that. And they have all kinds of phrases and they have hats, T-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, pens, all kinds of things. I mean, a great model to follow for that. I would encourage you to check that out. Well, hey, this is Dan Miller. We're going to blast through a bunch of questions here in this segment of 48 days online radio i'm the host each week we look at questions you the listeners ask if you got a question go to 48days.com click on the podcast link you'll be able to ask your question there i'd be delighted to consider that for an upcoming show 
Rebecca from Church Point, Louisiana says, Dan, I found your podcast a couple weeks ago. I would completely enjoy it. I would love your help with an issue. I have a great idea for what I think a big company like Pillsbury or Nestle could use and make a great profit. The only thing is I want to submit the idea, but going on their website, it looks like any idea they receive becomes theirs without having to give anything to the one who submitted the idea. I'm sure many times that is an acceptable thing, but what I have in mind, I know for a fact, this would be a great product that no one has. I actually called Nestle and talked to someone and nicely got told they hire researchers for new products and they couldn't go further with my submission. Not sure what step to take next, please. Now, this has changed a little bit over the last few years, Rebecca. Uh, Three years ago, I would have said, don't waste your time. You know, these big companies purposely stay away from people who have good ideas. It's too complicated. There are too many legal issues. It's too risky to talk to somebody. And, And this has happened thousands of times where, you know, they have an over coffee conversation with somebody and then a year later that company comes up with a product that sounds kind of vaguely familiar like that and so the person says well i told him about that they would rather not hear about the idea they really would however that's changing a little bit (laughs) knowing every company knows that there are good ideas floating around they can't have everybody under their own roof that has good ideas so it's it's changed a little bit but here's i'm going to give you one bit of information and you take it there because there are so many variables on this there is no easy answer what i want you to do is pick up a copy of stephen key's book one simple idea turn your dreams into a licensing gold mine while letting others do the work and that's what he does come up with ideas and he sells those ideas to companies he's the only person i've ever known that has actually been able to make that work but he tells you how to do that That's the book that you need. One Simple Idea by Stephen Key. All right, this comes from Colorado. Betty says, Dan, I've been making soap, salves, and balms, and bath products for our family for several years. Everyone thinks I should start selling them. Is this a good business idea? I'd love to hear what you have to say about this kind of business. Well, Betty, you have a business that's very time and labor intensive. It provides linear income only. Now, what that means, and if you've listened to me at all, you understand the difference between linear and residual income. Linear means you do something once and you get paid once. Residual means you do something once and get paid 10,000 times over. Now, there's a little bit of that potential in soap making. I mean, if you make 10,000 bars, yeah, you could have one big day of making soap and then you sell those out of your inventory. So there's a little bit of that, but it's still something that's very time and labor intensive. So is this business possible? Yes. Are there a million competitors? Yes. If it's your absolute passion, then do it anyway. However, if you, let me throw this in as kind of a caveat. If you're just looking for a profitable business, don't do this one. Ah, this has got too small a margins. Just keep making soaps for yourself and your friends as a hobby. Find another business with more potential. Now again, remember I said, If this is your absolute passion, then do it anyway. Just do it 10% better than anybody else is doing it. Knock it out of the park. Have fun with it. Um, But it's a very bricks and mortar kind of business and doesn't have the leverage of the businesses that I personally would be interested in. Craig says, Dan, there seems to be a pervasive theme in our working world today. Now, check this out. 
what do you what do you think about this this is this is pretty interesting there seems to be a pervasive theme craig says in our working world today which is i hate my soul crushing job it has sucked the life out of me i see it throughout the 48 days community and hear it all the time among my peers my question is has it always been this way i started in the workforce in the early 2000s so i'm unsure of the working environment prior to that was this theme common in the working days of my parents and generations before or has is this disdain for one's job something more recent if it's more recent what has changed in the working world that would make this theme so prevalent today thanks craig now what do you think have people complained about their work since adam and eve or is this a recent phenomenon well frankly adam and eve were told that you know once the work was cursed they probably were cursed in their work until that curse was removed a few chapters later in genesis i think work is something we should enjoy certainly that's my model and my goal always has been and it's always been something that's been true for me but has this increased yeah i think it's increased but before i tell you why i think it's increased i also want to play a little tidbit for you here made out of mud a poor man's made out of muscle and blood muscle and blood and skin and bones a mind that's weak and a back that's strong you load the 16 tons what do you get another day older and deeper in debt saint peter don't you call me cause i can't go i owe my soul well, this is a very old recording. What do you think? Did people have feelings about their work way back in the 40s? I was born one morning when the sun I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine. I loaded 16 tons, a number nine coal, and the straw boss said, Well, bless my soul, you loaded 16 tons. Well, you get the idea. That That's Tennessee Ernie Ford. That song... Golly, that song um, spent 10 weeks at number one on the country charts. Eight weeks at number one on the pop charts. Made Tennessee Ernie Ford a crossover star. Became his signature song. It was written in 1946. His rendition that we just heard there was done in 1955. Went back and found that when I read this question... Have people always complained about their work? Well, it goes back a long, long ways. Now, let me address, though, do I think it's more common today? I think, yes, I think that people are less likely to put up with work that sucks today than they did a few years ago. I think there was kind of the mentality, hey, work is work. You just go off to the salt mines. I mean, after World War One and World War Two. A lot of guys just went to work, the responsible thing to do, went to work in, in the industrial factories, automotive factories. wasn't particularly work that people enjoyed, but they did it just because they needed a paycheck. Things have changed. There's a whole lot more opportunities for people today. Now, in Wisdom Meets Passion, a new book that I just wrote with my son, Jared, in the very first chapter, we addressed the idea of inverting Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, if you remember back in Psych 101, Maslow's hierarchy of needs had on the very bottom safety and security. And then you move up to self-esteem and belonging and then self-actualization and transcendence. So it means if you are just thinking about having enough food to eat, that's all you're thinking about. 
And so nothing is important until you address that. So you have a solid house, a mortgage, a car in the driveway, a 401k, medical benefits, before you ever start to think about maybe not liking your work because you want to do something that's more fulfilling. Well, in today's environment, there are a whole lot of the Gen Yers, these 17 to 34-year-olds who say, you know, heck with that plan. I don't care about having a mortgage and a 401k and a stock fund. I want to do something that matters. I want to do something that makes a difference. I want to do something noble. I want to make the world a better place. Those are all things that come from the very top of Maslow's pyramid. And a lot of times these kids are saying that when they don't have a closet to live in. So it really is a reversal. And in that sense, yeah, I think it's more common today for people not to put up with work that's boring, monotonous, and so on. I think that it really is more likely you know, to be where, yeah, I'm not going to put up with this. So we may hear more about it today, but I think I think also there are more options today to find work that really is fulfilling, more work that is individually suited to a person. So I don't think there's any more excuse today for people complaining, moaning, and bellyaching about their work than there ever was. Well, let's go to a question here. Let's see this. Let, let me do an, an audio question here that came in about a teaching job. Hi, Dan. I have a question for you about 48 days. Um, How do people do your job search process when we're looking at government type of jobs with very specific methods for hiring? And specifically, I'm talking about getting teaching jobs. Where I live in the Northeast, the teaching jobs are regulated through a specific online application process. And so I'm not sure how to go about Uh, choosing different districts that I would like to apply to and then sending out the letters and making the contacts when it all has to be done through this government website. So that's the question that I have for you, and I would be really excited to know if there's kind of a a way around it. Or um, I'm a career changer, so I've been in another field and going into the teaching field. um, I wanted to make sure that I'm marketable and make sure that I can get a job in a competitive job market for the next school year. And I have this school year to figure it out, but I was wondering if it's best to just get in through substitute teaching or volunteering um, and then make myself known that way so that when I do apply through this specific website, at least maybe um, I would have a little bit of, of an in. So thank you so much for all you do. That would be so helpful if you would address that on a, on a podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, if you're just filling out online applications, you're at a distinct disadvantage, no matter how great you are, because people can't know how great you are just through an online application. So in, uh, in a short answer to your question, absolutely do those things where it puts you in front of decision makers personally. If that's substitute teaching or volunteering, by all means do that. If you want to apply to schools where you don't have an opportunity to substitute teach or volunteer, just show up. Just go there. Don't depend on just online. I don't care if this is a government kind of position and they encourage you to fill it out online. Do that, but don't do just that. Do things that make you stand out. I mean, that's what you've got to do. So don't ever think that just filling out an online application is going to be enough. If you do that, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be convinced nobody's hiring. There are no opportunities. No, put yourself in front of decision makers any way that you can. Let them know who you are as a real person. I mean, people that are hired for those positions, ultimately they want to know, they they do know that they're hiring a whole person, not just 
a list of credentials. So be creative, go for it. Absolutely. Clay from Sydney, Australia says, Dan, I'm in my early 30s working in a marketing in marketing in a high pressure, high output environment. Over the past year, I've developed shoulder and neck problems, which cause me pain while I work on the computer, which is all day. I've seen osteopaths, physiotherapists, acupuncturists, you name it. I've talked to them, including some very expensive specialists. The best they can tell me is I need to change my job. I need to get off the computer and at least not spend all day on it. But all my skills are computer-based, and we live in an increasingly computer-centric world. I know my next career shift needs to be away from computers, but how can I go about this? Who can I speak to for guidance in this unknown computerless world? I would encourage you, Clay, not, not to just think that you have to trash everything that you're familiar with and where your skill set is. I'd continue talking to some people in this area that you've already kind of alluded to. But I mean, I'm at my computer. I live in my computer. I mean, I write. I do blogs, newsletter, podcasts. I mean, I live at my computer. I have an ergonomic chair that, I mean, if I didn't have this chair that I'm sitting in, I'd probably be good for about two hours a day. I mean, I have a, a chair. It costs, I think, 800 and $800, $900. But I've had it for probably seven or eight years now. So amortized over that length of time as a part of my business equipment, it's very inexpensive. But I mean, I, I would not think about sitting in a, office depot chair for eight hours. I mean, I would start with that. Joanne and I both get massages every Friday. I mean, that's an integral part of our health plan. That's not just some fancy schmancy luxury. No, that's part of our maintaining health. And by Friday, I can feel it in my neck and shoulders. My massage therapist knows, you know, what to do with Joanne. But with me, she knows that she's going to spend maximum time on my neck and shoulders because I've been sitting at a computer. But that's a real relief for that. Gets me fired up for the weekend and by Monday I'm all energized and ready to go again. I would encourage you to take a break like every 48 minutes. I mean, do things where you're not just on your computer. I would also do things, there are some really cool desk these days that elevate my my buddy robert smith who's personal manager for andy andrews has the most amazing workspace i've ever seen in my life he can sit if he wants to and just with the push of a button the, his desk elevates it comes up so he can stand for a while i mean he can turn around he can do whatever he wants so he can sit on a ball he can sit on a chair but i would encourage you to experiment with things like that rather than just thinking you've got to walk away from the skill set that you've got. I mean, what else are you going to do where there's not going to be even increased physical challenges? Well, hey, you're listening to Dan Miller on this edition of 48 Days Online Radio, where we take your calls, your questions, unpack those real-life issues that we all have in ways that hopefully can help us all go to higher levels of success. Work is a fun, invigorating time that we spend spend a lot of time doing it every week so it ought to be something that's meaningful fulfilling we're figuring out how to do it right here hey, if you got a question go to the 48days.com site click on the podcast link you'll see an opportunity there to submit your question all right well we hey we have that question came from australia and philippa from you ask a question from sheffield england the other side of the world dan thanks for a consistently wonderful podcast. I'm a freelance writer at socialmediawriter.co.uk and I've been full-time self-employed for just under a year. Business is going well and I love writing for a living. 
In a bid to meet new potential clients and make contacts, I have recently started attending local networking events. And although I do well at making conversation with people there, and although I know I could really help their businesses with the copywriting I do, I really struggle to promote my work in those situations. I get embarrassed at being too forthcoming. Well, I am British, and I tend to leave the events having chatted to people but not marketed my work at all. Do you have any advice about how to network successfully? Yes, Philippa. Work on your elevator speech. And by that, I mean when you meet somebody and they say, what do you do? Don't just say I'm a copywriter. Okay, so you're a copywriter. I mean, say something like, I work with people who drive Volkswagens and make everyone around them think they're in a Ferrari. I mean, I don't know. Come up with something creative as an elevator speech. If you're, you know, somebody who's a dentist, don't just say I'm a dentist. Say, I work with people who have really low self-confidence and make them eager to be on stage in front of others. Well, that's going to generate a question. How in the world do you do that? Gee, I'm that person. Can you work with me? That's what you want in your elevator speech. So work on that. Maybe limit the number of people you talk to rather than passing business cards and having a 30-second conversation with 30 people. Narrow that down. Have meaningful conversations with five people that you identified as potential clients. I have a friend named Ray Edwards who is the highest paid copywriter I know. You can check him out, rayedwards.com. On his site, this is what, right across the top of his site, it says, Purpose, Power, Prosperity. And then it says, Hi, my name is Ray Edwards. I help people connect with the life they really long for. Wow, doesn't that make you want to ask more questions? How does he do that? I help people connect with the life they really long for. So, you know, do, do that. Work on your elevator speech so that you can describe clearly why your work has value and then make sure that you do that with people who have the potential to be prospects for you. Jan from Columbus, Ohio. This is another copyright kind of related question. Dan, it seems like you and all your followers have great ideas. You get them done. Your followers ask how to take the next step, but I'm way behind you. I, do, I simply don't know how to translate my gifts and passion writing into something more marketable. I make a great living as a freelance copywriter and I've tried coaching other writers, failed, but truthfully, I think there's something more for me. I just don't know what it is. How do I uncover my big picture? Well, Jan, as a writer, I mean, I'm very realistic about what writing produces. I mean, I know thousands of writers, people who'd love to make their income. They'd love to make $150,000 a year from their writing. I don't make $150,000 a year from my writing. Now, well, I have to qualify that because, you know, I have some books that are in place and certainly there are some things that happen there. You know, pretty, uh, aside, from, aside from those published books, I mean, there are articles I write, the blogs I do and all. I mean, those don't directly create $150,000 a year by any means. The things that create big money for me are live events, coaching, product sales that we do personally. I mean, those are things that we do outside of just my writing skills. When I write, even for major magazines, it's never for the fee I'm going to be paid. If any, frankly, I could care less about being paid a fee for writing an article. What I wanted to do is to lead people to our website where they then do spend money on the other things that we have. So make sure that you've created a real robust business rather than just being paid as somebody who writes, because I think that is extremely challenging. Lisa from Chicago says, Dan, I have a dream that seems so silly to pursue, but I can't stop thinking about it. 
My dream is to open a pole dance studio training center. There are studios in Chicago, but nothing like my vision. My problem is I worry that my dream could become a nightmare should I become sick or injured. I'm going to come back to that. Think about that. I worry my dream could become a nightmare should I become sick or injured. My backup plan is to finish a master's in occupational therapy, but that's four years down the road. I worry it's starting to detract from my pursuit, especially financially. My current job teaching yoga sucks up my energy, doesn't pay well, and I'm constantly being undercut due to a saturated market. I have hardly any investment capital for this studio. Still, I'm so focused that I can't think about anything else. Should I continue to work on plan B and A simultaneously? Am I being overpassionate about this studio idea? Well, I don't think you're overpassionate. I would never list anything as that, Lisa. So I, I think it's cool that you've got an idea that you're really passionate about. However, there are some things in your writing that I am very concerned about. Where you say, I worry that my dream could become a nightmare should I become sick or injured. I mean, wouldn't that be true for anything any of us wanted to pursue? I mean, I'm, I would be, if I wanted to, I could worry about the dream of what I do because that would become a nightmare if I would become sick or injured. I mean, anything would fall into that category. Then you go on about other worries that you've got. You're worrying too much. I mean, you have to have more optimism about just moving forward than being stuck at every little concern that you've got. Now, here's another concern that I've got. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really cut to the chase here. My current job teaching yoga sucks up my energy, doesn't pay well, and I'm constantly being undercut due to a saturated market. All right, you want to start a, a pole dance studio training center. If you are remarkable now as a yoga instructor, people will be flocking to your classes, and they'll be willing to pay more than the competition. Because here's where I'm going with this thought. If people are not drawn to you now as a yoga instructor, I suspect you're going to have challenges with a pole dance studio. The concept is not going to be enough to draw them in. Ultimately, they'll come because of you and your leadership. You need to focus on that. I would focus on being the absolute best yoga instructor in the city of Chicago. When you're doing that, it's going to make your options for starting your own studio, whatever focus you want that to have, much, much easier. You're going to be able to draw investment money easily because you already have an audience and a great following. Your confidence is going to be up, but your worrying is going to sabotage anything you're going to do on your own. With the, the amount of worrying that you're doing, you better keep a job. Don't try to go out on your own on anything because as soon as you have a little obstacle, you're going to tuck your tail and run. You've got to get past that. So build your confidence by becoming the best yoga instructor in Chicago. Let me know when that happens. Okay, let me go. I'm going to skip a couple here. Jack from Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Coon Rapids, Minnesota says, Dan, I've been making protein smoothies at home for 40 years. I'm wondering if you would comment on my idea to start a self-serve, all-you-can-drink protein smoothie and coffee shop. Ideally, I would open these close to universities and colleges. There would be plenty of room for everyone to sit around with Wi-Fi and a great atmosphere. I'm entertaining the thought of having some healthy cookies also. Basically, the idea is of marrying three popular things, coffee, smoothies, and buffet-style eating. Thanks, Dan. Hope you choose to comment on this. Love your show and listen to it every week. Jack, frankly, the idea of all-you-can-eat smoothies in a university setting scares me to death. 
Now, now think about this. You've got free Wi-Fi. You're inviting people in. All you can drink smoothies. What are you going to do with the 10 dudes who show up at 8 o'clock in the morning? They study there all day. They share notes together, get ready for the exam. They're there from 8 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night, but they have an all-you-can-drink smoothie. I, I just, the idea scares me to death. The, the whole idea that you're talking about. I don't know how you can make it work. I mean, food ideas have such s- slim margins anyway. I mean, nothing in the food industry appeals to me. I mean, in the food industry, if you can make a 3 to 4% net profit, you're doing well. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. I would never be in a business that had those kind of margins. I want to be in a business that has, you know, 40 per, to 50% net margins. And in selling informational products, you know, I can do that consistently. Now, you don't have to be in my business, but th- that business with that kind of a model, man, unless there's something I'm not seeing, it scares me to death. Uh, I think you better do some serious research before you uh, go in that direction to have all-you-can-drink smoothies for college kids. They'll wear you out. David from Wichita, Kansas says, I would like to start a brand consultant business based on my marketing knowledge. I plan on promoting myself by writing eBooks, blogging, guest blogging, other blogs. I realize that I need to position myself as an expert in my field, promoting who I am and what I can offer the market. However, Something that continually concerns me revolves around the issue of piracy. If I promote who I am, what I do, and what community I live in, I worry that it opens me up to any weirdo that might want to look up my home address or track when I'm traveling and away from home. I value privacy, yet I don't see how I could promote myself without being transparent as to who I am. Is this a realistic concern, and should I even be worried? Any practical ways to address this? David, another worrier. What's up with this worrying stuff? This is not, <laughs> this is a community where we don't get obsessed with worrying, the kind of things that stop 99% of the people out there from ever doing anything. No. I mean, you, you want to be a branding consultant? I mean, my gosh, it's not like you're a member of the SWAT team or you're a contract, you're a mafia hitman, you're a consultant. Why would you be in danger? I mean, I don't understand that. Now, that being said, I mean, it's no secret. You, you can look me up. and I mean, you're going to have 15 different sources that are going to tell you how old I am, what my wife's name is, what my kids' names are, and where I live and how long I've been here. And probably where I bank and, you know, what kind of cars I drive. I mean, it's, it's just out there. Don't worry about that. I mean, that, you, you, can't, you can't position yourself as a go-to person, somebody that people want to know and will make it easy to find you without having a lot of that stuff available. I mean, I know where there's all kinds of famous people that live right here in Nashville, Franklin area. I mean, we can drive to their house. Does that stop them? I mean, does that stop, you know, Alan Jackson or Amy Grant or Vince Gill or Kenny Chesney or Nicole Kidman? I mean, my gosh, I mean, those are people that, yeah, they don't want you know, fans just camped at their driveway, but it's not difficult to find out where they live and a whole lot about them. You don't have anything to worry about with what you're doing. I mean, you want people to become looking for you if that's if you want to be a branding marketing consultant. No, absolutely. Don't do anything to hold back on that. Just make yourself 
well known as a biz, business consultant you don't have any reason to worry about those other things and, and frankly there's no way to to really put a lid on that anyway well hey I'm, I'm gonna not do any more questions here we got lots of them thanks for the questions coming in thanks for being part of this community hey just a reminder uh, i have people periodically you know that ask about my coaching well not periodically and we have a lot of requests but i welcome those i mean just go to the coaching tab at 48days.com I mean, I engage with people who are in situations where there's no easy solution. Those are the ones that intrigue me. If you just need to polish your resume and get a job, you know, we refer those to competent coaches in our network. But if you're in a situation, I mean, I got a situation right now where a guy is a medical doctor and he also is a commercial airline pilot. And he's trying to figure out how to make those both work. I mean, one one makes about 250000 one makes about 500000 and his wife is concerned about them being able to live on 250000 So I'm working on, you know, how are we going to resolve this in doing what he really wants to do and yet not cut his normal family income in half? You know, those are the kind of things that intrigue me. So if you've got a challenging situation, just, just fill out the brief questionnaire at 48days.com coaching, and I'd love to um, have a chance to engage with you help you go through a transformation so you can make 2013 the year you want it to be well there it is we've been taking care of business get involved in the 48days.net community check out all the activity there lots of people doing what we're talking about here hey this is dan meller your host of 48 days online radio thanks for being part of this community who is finding or creating work that is meaningful fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. You can do it too.